We are in the book of Nehemiah, for those who don't know. Um, just really need to find which one I'm speak, sermon I'm speaking today. That's the one. Good. Book of Nehemiah. We are in chapter 11 and chapter 12. So we're going through two chapters in one go. But actually, it's a lot of listed names. So that, that'll, be, that'll be okay, I think. So let's, uh, let's have, a, have a little look at it and see what, hopefully, what God has got to say um, to us through it. So we're going to just pray, Father... Father, we just pray for your word. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you you speak to us through the pages of the scriptures. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that just opens our eyes and our minds to really get it and understand it. And Father, I just pray for that right now. Father, just give us revelation from you, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So chapter 11, we are just going to read a few verses. I'm not going to read the whole two chapters. We'll be here until... Don't know what time, but a while anyway. So here we go. Chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring out one of every ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to live in their own towns. The people commended all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. These are the provisional provisional. Sorry, try again. Provincial leaders who settled in Jerusalem. Now some Israelites, priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants lived in the towns of Judah, each in his own property in the various towns, while other people from both Judah and Benjamin lived in Jerusalem. So, we know the walls have been built. This city is now protected. Everything's sort of coming together quite well. But still, the big question remains, who is going to live in Jerusalem? Who's going to live here? Well, you know, the, the truth of the matter is actually not everybody wants to live in Jerusalem. It's, it's not a great place, place to live. Why? Well, actually, the housing is really, really poor. And yet some people are prepared to make the sacrifice and actually go and live in the city. It tells us how one-tenth of the population partly volunteer, partly are pushed to go and live in the city of Jerusalem and to, to, to be there. And what Nehemiah knows is that he knows that unless the, that the nation of Israel is never going to be strong unless the city of Jerusalem is strong. And the city of Jerusalem is not going to be strong unless people are willing to make the sacrifice and actually live in that city. I guess he would have agreed with the words of John F. Kennedy, who said, he said, we will neglect our cities at our peril. For to neglect our cities, we will neglect our nation. You know, one of the reasons that we came to Chester in terms of church planting was partly strategic. We believe God's called us to, to plant churches beyond the walls of this city. And it's partly the strategic thing of coming to a city, to a, a population, to build a church that hopefully would be strong enough one day to eventually begin to plant out from here into Cheshire, maybe into North Wales, wherever God has, has called us to plant, wherever God has called us to go. So we get back into the chapter 11 
the little bit after, the bit after I've just read really is another long list of names. Now, we know by now that Nehemiah loves his lists. He's just, he just loves to write lists of people. And this one records the work that took place under Nehemiah's leadership. See, and wherever these people lived, whether inside the city or actually outside the city, there was this real sense of order within the community. People are working together. People are put in charge of different districts within the city. Different residents have different responsibilities to, to undertake the work within the city. Some of them even get the great privilege of living back in the place where their ancestors had lived before the exile. You read that in, in, in verse 20 of, of chapter 11. We jump into chapter 12, and yet again, guess what? Another long list of names. Now, this list is a little bit different. This list looks back. This list are the first exiles who came back to Jerusalem from Babylon between 538 BC up until the day of, of, of Nehemiah. And we... Listen, we must never underestimate the work of Nehemiah and the work of the people in the way they loved and served God in, in all they did because it was because of them that literally these walls are resurrected from ruins. This city has been restored because of the work of Nehemiah and the work of his people. But in Nehemiah chapter 12 is a reminder to us of how much has gone before. And all that God does through Nehemiah and through Nehemiah's people was just really a continuation of what God had been doing down through the years. It wasn't a new thing necessarily, just God had been doing it down through the years before. Listen, today, today as we pray and we work and we hope that God will do a great work through us here in, in Freedom Church in Chester, in our communities and, and actually in our own lives as well, we need to always remember and to praise God for all that has gone before our day, for those who have been faithful before we are here. And there's a real sense in which we build on the achievements of our spiritual parents and grandparents we look around and we, 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 uh, we just remember that the building we're in here, home of, of City Mission, for, 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 for many years. Listen, we build on the achievements of, of City Mission. We, we stand on their prayers, on their shoulders in a sense. But also there's a very personal aspect to this as well. And, and certainly for me, you know, I've got, I'm just blessed to have Christian parents Christian grandparents, even great-grandparents, down through the generations who loved, who served God, who were passionate for the things of God. That is such a blessing. I know not, each one, not all of us have that blessing, but I'm thankful to God for that blessing. You know, when, I, when my granny got to her latter years, she, used to, she moved into a little granny flat at the back of our, our house while we were growing up. Her husband had, had passed away a number of years earlier. But listen, whatever time of day you'd walk into, see Granny, more than likely she's sitting with her Bible open and she's praying. And she's praying for her kids and she's praying for her grandkids and she's praying for me. And she's praying that God would, would use us for his glory, that God would do great things in the generations to come. Listen, that shapes you. It changes you. It leaves a mark on your life that you just never forget. Now, I know not all of you have that blessing of knowing that 
parents and grandparents who have been praying faithfully for you. But listen, you can become that parent. You can become that grandparent who prays, who shapes the generation to come. You can begin to pray for your kids, your grandkids, even your great-grandkids, people that maybe you will never, ever meet. And you can pray that God would use them, that God would build his church through them for his glory and for his honor. Guys, be men and women of prayer. God has given this great resource to us that can shape the generations to come. So be faithful. Be faithful in that. But perhaps the greatest thing that we should be praising God for is what, Jesus, what God did in sending his son 2,000 years ago because everything that he is doing today, everything that he will do in the future is based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's our foundation, is it not? The finished work of the, the work that Jesus finished on the cross for us. He is the example that each one of us needs to follow. In fact, he calls us to be like him. In fact, he calls us to make sacrifices for him as he did for us. And Paul says, sorry, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and herself and take up their cross and follow me. That's the call of God upon each of our lives. And there is a real sacrifice as we step out, as we choose to follow God. And, and, and Nehemiah, I guess he knows this. In fact, Nehemiah calls his people to make a sacrifice, in fact, to make three sacrifices in these couple of chapters for the sake of the city. For the sake of the city of Jerusalem, God's holy city. In fact, God is saying exactly the same thing to you and me today. God is still calling his people to make those three sacrifices for the sake of his church. The first one is this. Give yourself to God. Very simple. Give yourself to God. Now the walls and the gates have been restored in the city, but now it is important that this population begins to grow. People are needed. Just very simple. People are needed. People on the ground need to be there. Firstly, because they need to protect the city from the enemy around them. The enemy hasn't gone away. It's still there. So they need people to come and just be just a mass of people to be there in terms of protection of the city. For them, actually, it's probably much easier for them to actually be in the little villages or in the countryside around because there's not much threat around there. The city is where people will come and attack, but yet some people are willing to make the sacrifice. Some are willing to take the risk. Secondly, if people really loved God, they'd want to be there because this is such an important witness to the Gentile neighbors around, to the people who are looking in on them because as they look, they see that this city is growing and God is glorified through that. The third reason, and perhaps most importantly, God has called the remnant back because he has a special job for them to do. Simply this, God's called them to be there. This is God's call on their life. And if they abandon this restored city, they are obstructing God's will and God's purposes Listen, God needs his people in his holy city in the same way God needs his people in his church. 
needs us to come together to spend time in his presence. You know, very early on in, in a new church or in a church plant, sometimes it's difficult. You know, it's, it's, it's often a risky place to be. It, it requires a little bit of sacrifice, and, and many of you know what that's, what that's like a little bit. But it, it's... But I guess we must, we must never, we must never underestimate just the importance of just simply, physically being here. Just being here in the place where God wants you to be. And whether you're asked to perform a great act of ministry or not, you know what, just being here is, is ministry. It's ministry. It's obeying God. I'll let you into a little secret, not a well not, a, not, not one you probably don't know already, but actually, you know, most church leaders are just a little insecure. We, we just are. It's just, I, I wish we weren't, but we are. That's just the way it is, unfortunately. And, you know, knowing your support, knowing your prayers, knowing that you are just willing to be here means more than many of you probably will ever know. You know, our vision in Freedom Church is to see lives transformed by the gospel and churches planted. We believe God's called us to be and to do. And we do plan to plant churches very much. It's been right in our heart from the very onset. And, and we're just praying about different areas at the moment and, 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 and just exploring even the possibility in the, next, in the next few months, maybe even starting a small group over in the sort of crew Nantwich area, just seeing where God takes us with, with, with all of that and see what, what, what happens within that. But listen, we need to grow. We need to grow here. Just very practically, we need more people to, to join us, to connect with us, so that we will be able to send them out into other parts, into church plants, into different parts around Cheshire, into North Wales, wherever God has, has called us to go and to, and to plant. And one thing that we learn very clearly from the book of Nehemiah is this one, is the importance of how important everybody is. Listen, Nehemiah appreciates everybody, both the ones who did a big job and those who did a little job. He appreciated them. He appreciated the work that they did. And listen, I just simply say this. I need your support. I need your prayers. I need your generosity. I just need your encouragement. And though it's important to develop loyalty in a local church situation, it's also really important that we remember that there's a greater calling on each of our lives, and that is to work for God. It's more than just, it's more than just one church or even or one ministry or one person. It's about bringing honor and glory and bringing our worship to the King of all kings. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because this, this is your spiritual act of worship. So give yourself to him. That's where it starts. You give yourself to him. And the outflow of that is as we come together, we give ourselves to one another as well. But first it must start with giving yourself to him. The second thought is this, we need to give our praise to God. So we jump into chapter 12, <laughs> it's party time. Okay, there just is a major celebration going on. There's such excitement, such enthusiasm with, within chapter 12. It's, it's quite incredible. I wonder if you've ever been so happy that you just want to jump up and down or dance or just burst into song. I'm not going to, by the way. I wouldn't do that to you. 
I'm not that cruel. <laughs> shame, shame, eh? Yeah. Oh, you know, you know, but actually, to get a real grasp of, of what's going on, I'm going to read you a few verses of what was happening. I'm not going to go through it all, but listen, so we're jumping to verse 27, and it says here, all the dedication of the walls of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and they were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with music of cymbals and harps and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the different regions around Jerusalem. Jump to verse 31. I had the leaders of Judah go to the top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right, towards the dung gate. Verse 38. The second choir proceeded to, in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall together with half the people past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall. Verse 43, and on that same day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sounds of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far, far, far away. I've had the extra fars in there, but you get, get the idea. This whole, this whole occasion is just marked by just exuberant joy. They're happy. There's just exuberance here. The people are offering their praise, their thanksgiving, they're joyful, they're loud. They are accompanied by various types of instruments. This was no time for reflective worship. They pull out all the stops. They just go for it. They are so excited. The exuberance is just incredible as they come and worshiping God. And Nehemiah, well, Nehemiah is a man who gets things done. And he clearly knows how to throw a party. And he's the events planner for this great celebration. There's this real significant logistical effort and invest in just in pulling together all these different musicians um, to create this musical extravaganza. So the Levites and the, the professional musicians are called from everywhere around to come together to begin to play together. But actually, it's not just about the professional musicians. They call people from everywhere to come, all different parts. Everyone from the oldest to the youngest is involved in this act of celebration and this just exuberant joy that's going on at this time of celebration. The women, the children, everyone is connecting in with this. In fact, there was so much enthusiasm that their shouts were heard just for miles around. You imagine people in some of the nearby villages stopping for a moment and thinking, what's, what's that noise? And they look over to Jerusalem and they hear the shouts and, the, and, the, and just the, the music's coming and just, just waving across the countryside as people stop for a moment and thinking, wow, party happening over there. Incredible, absolutely incredible. But for Nehemiah, it was very clear that an exuberant, spontaneous display of joy is helped, not hindered, by careful preparation and by skillful musical performance. You know, it's so important as we gather that we encourage um, spontaneous contributions, as we gather, as we, we, we respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit, as we, as we come together in our worship and our praise to God. But you know, I've often heard Mark say that, he says, he says, the more spontaneous you want to be, the more prepared you need to be. He's, he's right. The more spontaneous you want to be, the more, the more prepared 
you need to be. And listen, as we come together, listen, we should be coming with our hearts prepared before God. As we come to service, we, we spend time in God's presence. We, we ask the question, Lord, what, what, what do you want me to bring today? We, we come with, some come with a, a song, others come with a, with, a, with a word or with a Bible reading or, or a tongue. Or, and, and we come together, we come into God's presence, but we have prepared our hearts, we've prepared ourselves. We come together for the building up of this church. And I just encourage you, come having spent time with God, during, maybe even during the week as God has been speaking to you. Write a few things down. You think, that might, that's for me, but it may be for others. Maybe, and, and then as, you, as the worship is coming and things are coming together and somebody says something and it just thinks, yeah, I need to share that. I need to bring that because that just really fits in because God's spirit has been working through me. Listen, there is preparation in spontaneity. You, gotta, you know what I'm saying? We need to come with this attitude that, that God can use me and speak through me. And I, we really want to encourage and develop our musicians and, and, and just look for excellence within all of that. And that, that is obviously important in how we do things, but we never want to do it at the expense where our praise becomes a performance and, and we become spectators rather than participants. This is us together. Worship is us together. Listen, just because you stand on a stage, yes, we need some level of leadership. We need someone to bring the music and someone to bring the song sometimes. But actually, our worship needs to be coming from here as much as from up there. Our praise, our declaration of God's goodness. And, and, and we do that. We do that well, mostly. But listen, let's, let's each one of us just, just come prepared to be able to share what does God put on my heart? And, and just 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 also be blown away as the way the wonder which his Holy Spirit just ties and fits things together as God speaks, as he brings his truth into our hearts. You know, for some time now, we've, we've got really used to the idea of these workers and the watchers on the walls, but now it's the worshippers and this, the celebration on the walls. And this... this um, service, this unique dedication service that we read about in chapter 12, we see how people are divided into two groups. Ezra leads one of the groups, Nehemiah leads the second group, and the possession probably most likely started in the valley gate, and then they marched in opposite directions. Ezra, he goes south around the walls. Nehemiah, he heads north. Up around, they come back together in the temple area, and then the, the, this, this whole thing reaches an incredible climax as they offer their worship and their sacrifices unto God. But why all the walking? Why, 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 why bother walking? Surely they could have just caught or just met up at the temple and had their little service and it would have been, would have been quite okay. So why walk around the walls? Let me give you a number of reasons. Firstly, it was the walls and the gates that were being dedicated. It seems only right in a sense, I guess, that the people should see the work that's been done. For many of them, it may have been the first time they've actually covered the whole section of, of the walls but also be able to see and to touch what they are dedicating. Secondly, they are being watched. People are just watching them. They're, being, and they're bearing witness to the surrounding world what God has done. Listen, he alone should be glorified. You know, up until this point, certainly in the early chapters of Nehemiah, the enemies are saying, you know what? A fox could knock down your walls. It's in such bad repair. Listen, now the people are marching on the walls. They're stamping across these walls. Proof as if proof was needed that God had done a great work through his people. But alongside that, even though 
different people had taken responsibility for the different parts of this wall, nobody, nobody owned these walls. These walls belonged to God. You know, we, we will always get into serious problems within a church life if individuals or even groups of people within our church start to take territorial rights over a particular project or a particular area of church. And, and we must never forget, no matter how much time you put into something, no matter how much effort, no matter how much money you've put into something, it does not give us the right to claim these territorial rights over a particular thing or a particular building project. It's when you give, you give to God. You give to him for his glory. It all belongs to him, to be given to him for his glory. And as these guys are walking on the walls, they are symbolizing that even though they've all spent a huge amount of time, they've walked on their little sec- sorry, they've worked on their little section of walls, some of them have given a great deal of effort, even a great deal of money, and also some have given a lot more than others have done, yet they're declaring all this belongs to God. It's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. This is God. This is done for God's glory and for the uplifting and the glory of his name. Perhaps the third thing is this. Walking on these walls was a symbolic act of stepping out by faith to claim God's blessings. Now in the days of, in, 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 in Nehemiah's day, to walk on a piece of land or property, it meant that you were claiming it for your own. So in Genesis, God says to Abraham, he says, Arise, walk through the land, for I will give it to you. He also um, said to Joshua, I will give you every place in which you set your foot. And this joyful walk along these walls is their way of saying, we are claiming from the Lord all that he has for us. We're claiming from the Lord all that we have for us in the same way that our ancestors claimed by faith and walked by faith on this land. And for them, the service is not just about celebrating the finishing of the walls. This service is about looking to the future. This is them stepping out into the promises of God for what God has, that has for them in the future. Because in many ways, their work is just beginning. We stand on the finished work of God in Christ. We stand on the finished work of God in Jesus Christ. And it's so important that we claim and we live out in the promises of God, that we stand by faith in all that Jesus Christ has given us, that we live out in the joy of the Lord with everything we need in Jesus. There's nothing else we need to add to that. And that's where we stand in the secure and in the finished work of the cross. That's our hope for now. It's our hope for the future. And listen, deep joy can only come when you know who you are in Christ and you understand all that Jesus Christ has done for you. I was at the CU weekend yesterday just doing a little seminar and we just... um, looking at what a sinner is, how we love sinners, and this we spent, I just couldn't help myself, we spent a huge chunk of time just talking about the cross of Jesus Christ, the finished work, but also talking about what our identity is. Our identity is in Christ. We are holy and blameless all because of Jesus. That's who you are. You are a saint, not a sinner. 
Not because you deserve anything from God, but because God has given everything to you out of love, out of mercy, out of his grace, just poured into your life. That's who we are. And we stand on those promises and we declare them to the nations and to the people around us. Third thought, just quickly, is this. We need to give our gifts to God. Money matters. Chapter 12, verse 44. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits, and tithes. From the field around the towns, they were to bring into the storehouse the proportions required by the law for the priests and the Levites, for Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did also the singers and the gatekeepers according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For for long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, They had been directors for the singers and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the day of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portion for the singers and gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites. And the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. These people had made a promise to God. In fact, it was their ancestors that had made this promise to God. But these guys are willing to keep that promise. And they give their gifts, they give their tithes for the support of the temple workers just so that they're able to do all that God has for them and they can serve God in the way that God has called them to. But it wasn't just because God had commanded them to do this. It was because they were pleased with the ministry of the priests and Levites. See, these priests, these Levites, they are setting a great example for others to follow. They are obeying God. They are obeying God's word. They're also both, alongside that, they are, are living in their personal purity before God. They're doing what God wants them to do, and they're obeying God in that way. Listen, godly leaders should exalt God. It should go without saying, but that needs said sometimes. Godly leaders need to exalt God. They need to obey his word. We need to be pointing people towards Jesus. That's, that's what God has called us to do, to point people towards Jesus Christ and all that he can do for, for each one of us. It must never be about personal ambition or trying to set up or create something for my own ego in any way whatsoever, or selfish motives. It must always be about building the kingdom of God and bringing glory to the precious and the most holy name of Jesus Christ. And good leaders are worthy of support. Hudson Taylor used to say, he says, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack God's support. When God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack God's support. Guys, I'm thankful for all that God has done through Freedom Church. Thankful for for you guys. I'm thankful for this building. You know, it's just a real blessing from God. A miracle in many ways that we we are here and we are able to to move forward with with all that God has done for us. Listen, we're we're not a rich church. Not for a moment. But listen, God has been faithful 
every step of the way. He's provided for us every step of the way. And listen, I have got no doubts that he will provide for the future as well. Because he's faithful. But he calls us to obey. To walk faithfully before him. That's the key. To live in obedience to him. And God will give. Certainly true in Nehemiah's day. The people didn't just give out of necessity, but joyfully and gratefully. Isn't a joyful heart is a generous heart. And if you give with a joyful heart, then your material gifts become spiritual gifts to God. But you will never be able to give in that way unless, first of all, you give yourself completely over to him. And no gift no matter how big it is, will ever be a substitute for a heart that's given over to Jesus. We'll start there. So give yourself to him completely in every area of your life. Give your praise to him and joyfully give your gifts to him for the building of his church and for the glory of his most precious name. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessing and encouragement. Thank you for the joy, Lord, that just, just comes in, in just knowing you and, and just knowing what you've done first. Thank you mostly of all for the cross, for which you died, for your blood that was shed, shed for us, for your mercy just poured out for us. Thank you for your love over us. And Father, I just pray, Father, just continue to work in our lives. Lord, keep us just sensitive to your spirit, we pray. Just lead us, we ask in Jesus' name. We give you glory and honor. Amen, amen.